Acts, Witness of the Early Church. That's the theme we resume today on Encounter God's Truth, a weekly Bible teaching and faith-strengthening radio and internet outreach of Whitcomb Ministries. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host from the beginning of this broadcast, so glad to welcome you back. Even though Dr. John Whitcomb is no longer here on earth to teach us, he left us a treasure trove of his resources, and you can find so many of them when you visit us at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And we still have more of them to present on this program. For instance, Dr. Whitcomb taught through the Book of Acts over the course of six years at the Independent Fundamental Bible Conference held annually at the Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut. We've been sharing these studies on Acts, Witness of the Early Church, over the past several years here on Encounter God's Truth, and we're ready to begin Volume 4. We do so with the permission and assistance from Middletown Bible Church, and we thank them sincerely for that. We left off last year in Acts chapter 10, where we'll pick up in our study with Volume 4, sharing material never before aired on the radio. This series will take us up to the holidays at the end of this year, But before jumping right in, we're going to use today's broadcast to review the very foundation of the book of Acts. We do that by listening to Dr. Whitcomb's message on the Ascension of Christ from Acts chapter 1. For those who may be new to our program, let me remind you that Dr. Whitcomb was a seminary professor, author, and Bible teacher for nearly 70 years. As you listen, I trust you'll sense some of the wisdom he gained over that time as he shared God's Word with the congregation from Acts chapter 1 on the Ascension of Christ. His message traces the significance of Jesus' ascension through both the Old and New Testaments, showing us so much about our Savior and reminding us of the power which is now available to His church. Now here we are in the upper room, and before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he, what, should depart out of this world unto the Father. That's the ascension. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and literally was going back to God, He rose from supper and did certain things, as we know, for the disciples. Now turn to chapter 16, verse 28. Verse 28. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus was in constant anticipation of his return to his heavenly father who for a brief moment in world history actually had to turn from him on the cross but Jesus knew that that's the reason he came and even though Jesus cried out in agony from the cross at 12 o'clock noon when the darkness covered the land remember for three hours Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He ended the three hours by saying what? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died physically and became alive spiritually, having been dead spiritually and alive physically on the cross for three hours. And he was on his way back to heaven by way of what? An announcement in Sheol Hades below. And then what? A resurrection from the dead three days later and then what 40 days on the earth with his disciples and then what the ascension 
to heaven. Now, look at chapter 17, verse 13. And now I come to thee. I come to thee, dear Father. That's my deepest joy. I'll, I'll soon be with thee. You see what he says in, back in verse 5? And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's my true identity and my function and my position and my deepest joy to be with my Father. As I was for how long? From ages and ages, from eternity past. The glory which I had with thee before the world was. And I'm going back to that. No, he didn't consider it a thing to be grasped to hold on to that glory, but he emptied himself temporarily for those for that one third of a century of human history in order to die for your sins and mine, dear friends, and to take back with him captivity captive, as we shall see. Yes, friends, that was the desperate desire, anticipation, hope, and basis of joy of our Lord Jesus. And so we, we begin to learn, well, Father, if that was the anticipation of the Lord Jesus, how much more, therefore, should we think about you and being with you and being in your heaven and glorifying you and worshiping you in spirit and in truth? And, and someday, dear Father, um, uh, we'll no longer see through a, a mirror dimly, but face to face. No longer will we know in part, but we will know as we are known. And someday, dear Father, we'll, be, we'll see him as he is, and we'll be, we'll be like him. And we'll be with you in him forever and ever and ever. Uh, would you kindly agree with me that that's an important motivation and perspective for our Christian life in this dark world? At the end of this long, dark tunnel, there's a light up there. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. There's hope. Now, John chapter 20, verse 17. After his resurrection from the dead, Mary recognized who he was, finally, by his self-revelation. And she said, Master. In a, and she, she, she clung to him. I mean, you're back. You're here. Well, you'll never leave us, will you? Wrong. Touch me not. Literally, don't keep clinging to me, Mary. For I am not yet ascended to my father. But you go to my brethren and say unto them that I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. His relationship to God the father was infinitely different than than her relationship to God the Father. So he makes that clear-cut distinction. I'm God's eternal son, and you're a child by faith, by adoption, Mary, if we wanted to elaborate on that question. But, but the point is this, friends. He's not here forever on the earth. He is going away for a while. By means of what? The ascension. Now, of course, none of the early Christians realized they couldn't possibly have known it would be nearly 2,000 years before he would come again. 
Unbelievable. But after all, it's only been a couple of days. One day is with the Lord as what? A thousand years. Said, I'm coming soon. Don't worry. Everything's under control here. And the day will come when you can cling to me in a special way that you're not yet qualified to do, Mary. Okay? The ascension, the ascension. Now, turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. Anybody heard of John 3.16? Well, here's 1 Timothy 3.16. Perhaps an aid to memory. Look at this amazing statement of faith here for true believers. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I mean, he actually had a 100% genuine human body. He was genuinely incarnated, enfleshed through the body, of course, of Mary. Then he was justified in the spirit. He was absolutely sinless. He was seen of angels. I mean, angels desire to look into these things and nothing more astounded them than the incarnation of the God who created them. And he was preached unto the Gentiles. And these are all amazing things, friends. And he was believed on in the world. Remember, John chapter 1 begins by saying, uh, he, he, he made the world and the world did not receive him, did not recognize him, did not believe in him. But uh, except for a few that were prepared by the Holy Spirit to respond, became the sons of God by faith, but he was believed on in the world. Now that's supposed to be a surprise. Because remember Psalm 14 says that nobody's going to believe in themselves. Nobody wants him. Nobody is seeking God. No, not one. Because in ourselves, we, there's no good thing, friends. And we're not to go around in a state of total despair but the point is don't let's be realistic there's nothing in us that really wants him that seeks him that really desires him apart from what the work of the holy spirit within us no man comes to me said jesus except my father what draw him my father will initiate the relationship you won't he will that's john 3:16 is god so loved the world not that i so loved him but he loved us he first loved us he initiated this relationship right here. So the, 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 he was believed on in the world. Amazing. Now watch. And was received up into glory. He said, well, why doesn't it end with the crucifixion and the resurrection? It ends with his reception by his father to the third heaven above at the father's right hand in glory. Something to, you see, all this presupposes and assumes we know the steps, you see, up to the right hand of the Father. His death, burial, resurrection, 40 days, ascension, all assumed. These are the key points that early Christians were to hang their uh, statement of faith on, you see. Reminders, key ideas. Now, I invite you to turn to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Now, if you think that, uh, that the Old Testament emphasizes the ascension, which it does, 
Some have said there's more statements in the Old Testament about his ascension than there is about his resurrection. And if you think the Gospel of John emphasizes it, and it does, be prepared for this amazing emphasis in the book of Hebrews. Now, we don't know, and doubtless never will know, who wrote the book of Hebrews as a human instrument of the Holy Spirit. I have an opinion, and that's about all it is. Uh, You probably have an opinion, too. I sort of like Apollos of Alexandria, who was mighty in the scriptures and was uh, thoroughly taught, as Luke tells us in uh, the book of Acts chapter 18. He was a magnificent student of the Old Testament. He was not only brilliant biblically, but he was eloquent, it says. He was a mighty preacher, and Paul emphasized the greatness of Apollos, didn't he? Now, the reason I suspect Paul didn't write this letter is because he always signs his letters, but this one is not signed. And whosoever it might be is a very humble person, obviously, but the Holy Spirit is the main author. We all know that. Now, look at verse 3. Are you ready? Hebrews 1.3. Speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Thank you, Lord. The crowning achievement after having died for our sins. The father is as much as saying, my dear son, you have paid the price You love me and my will more than your own personal feelings and comfort and preferences. I mean, Jesus' preference, let's face it, friends, was not to die on the cross and become sin. If it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to become sin. But uh, dear son, you you paid the price and you obeyed me and you put me first. And therefore, I'm going to honor you with infinite honor and glory. Sit right here. Okay? Now, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is what? Passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. All right, chapter 6, verse 20. Last verse of Hebrews 6. Look at verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, which means in the third heaven that you can't see from here, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's our forerunner. He's uh, prepared the way for all of his people to follow him up there someday. And that's why heaven is our home now. Our citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven. Whence, uh, from whence will come the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will uh, subdue all things, including what? He will change our body of humiliation and fashion it anew like unto his glorious body with the power wherewith he is able to subdue also all things to himself. Yes, we're, our heart is there because that's where he is, and we're the bride and he's the bridegroom, and our desire is to be with the bridegroom, and that's up there, not here. Well, thank you, Lord. 
He's a forerunner. That's inc- that means somebody's going to follow him. Okay. Now, uh, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Here's the ultimate uh, goal so far in the book of Hebrews. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. My, thank you, Lord, for guiding this writer to say that. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Majesty, the Father. You remember Daniel chapter 7? The Ancient of Days with fire coming from his throne and myriads of angels surrounding him. And one approaches him like unto a son of man who receives a kingdom that will never pass away. His majesty, the majesty, the father is there waiting for his beloved son. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Let's begin with verse 11. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Be careful here. They weren't worthless. They weren't totally irrelevant. They weren't ridiculous. 1,400 years of animal sacrifices, dear friends, in the pre-Pentecost economy of God for Israel accomplished some significant things. Namely, if you obeyed God and honored God and trusted God and offered the sacrifices according to his prescribed ritual in the temple, at the altar, through the priests, you would be protected by him from immediate destruction. You, You would be allowed to live a little longer. And at Yom Kippur, the day, you know, of atonement, annually, there would be that offering of the high priest which would cover the nation from immediate destruction by a holy God in their presence, symbolically in their presence. The animal sacrifices were very important. Okay? I mean, coming out of Egypt, if you didn't have the blood over the, you know, on the lintel and the doorposts, the destroying angel would do what? He'd wipe you out. Uh, I mean, it was very healthy to have an animal sacrifice program God prescribed for their survival. But what could the animal blood not do? It could not take away, expiate their sin. They still had a bad conscience, and therefore it had to be done over and over and over again. Only the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, could do that. But nevertheless, folks, watch carefully here. Don't despise Don't despise these animal sacrifices that God actually instructed Israel to experience. They were very important for their survival. Yes, this one offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down on the right hand of God. You know what that suggests? He is finished sacrificing himself. He's not going to be re-offered A billion people do this who think they're Christians and are obeying God. How horrible. He said on the cross, it is what? Finished. Thank you. Done. No more. Finished. And he sat down on the right hand. It's done. He's not standing up there. All the priests in the the tabernacle and the temple had to stand. They couldn't, no place to sit down. Why? Their work was never done. Never. 
But he sat down. The work's done. Victory, achievement, praise God. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, apparently his anticipation of being with his father again, endured the cross, despising the shame, and what? Is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you, do you begin to get a feel in the book of Hebrews that this is important? Yes. This is the ultimate dynamic that just keeps everything moving in terms of what? Christian life and self-discipline and, and uh, meaningful goals to the honor of God and, and to, to enable us to all to say like the Apostle Paul, I have, I have finished the course, I have uh, I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I'm not giving up. I'm not compromising. I want to keep on. I want to keep on for the glory of God. I, I want to be like Jesus who did what? He, he endured and, and, and sat, is therefore honored and glorified at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, friends, one more. And here we are in 1 Peter next just keep moving here. A couple more books. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. The like figure, that is Noah and the ark and the flood, whereunto even baptism doth now also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is where? On the right hand of God, now watch, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. There he is. God the Father is not jealous of the infinite glory his son now possesses. The only member of the Godhead who has a body, who is a human being 100% as well as God, is the second person. And the Father is infinitely joyful at the glory his son has achieved. And so should we be joyful for him and the anticipation of someday being with him. Now, we mentioned earlier, friends, something that uh, I think is very difficult to fathom. I'm still struggling with this. Appreciate your prayers. I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 3 now concerning the ascension. Remember we mentioned that uh, the ascension of the Lord Jesus to the right hand of the Father was visible. Eleven men saw this under the auspices of two angels. And, and they saw him gradually and definitely going up into heaven and finally received into a cloud, a cloud of glory. I mean, just like we at the rapture will be uh, caught up in clouds, glory clouds, not rain clouds. Glory clouds, <laughs> just like uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory clouds covered, you remember, uh, Moses and Elijah, etc. Yes, uh, that will be the atmosphere of heaven. Now, we suggested that uh, Elijah was the only other case in the history of the world that could be compared to this. But I would like to say that uh, Elijah never made it. Now, think with me, please. 
Jesus said in John 3:13, are you with me? John 3:13, no man hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, in other words, I'm the only one who's been there. And by the way, to this very hour, friends, he's the only human being that is glorified in all the universe. He's the first fruits of them that slept, and nobody else will have what a glorified body until he comes. And that's called what? The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord and be with Him. You see, friends, no one in the history of the world has been glorified except Jesus. God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, and that theme will be abundantly evident to us as we go through this fourth volume of studies on the book of Acts titled, Acts, Witness of the Early Church. In his final years, Dr. John Whitcomb also co-authored a commentary on the book of Acts with Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut, where these messages originated. You'll find it among the free resources available on our website at whitcombministries.org. Remember that you can access all of these programs in the book of Acts, and in fact, all of our past broadcasts at sermonaudio.com slash whitcomb. You'll also find the latest news at facebook.com slash Ministries. Next time, we'll continue in Volume 4 of this new series. Until then, I'm Wayne Shepherd, saying thanks for joining us here on Encounter God's Truth.